0: I wanna be free, I wanna be, wanna be free. free.
1: Welcome to Liberty Chats, produced by members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council. Thank you for joining us. We talk to a variety of experts, leaders, journalists, and policymakers about our nation's founding principles, why they are still so relevant and essential to preserving freedom for everyone, what specific challenges and threats they face today, and how those founding principles best safeguard and empower everyone's ability, young and old, to attain prosperity, and personal happiness.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Liberty Chats, a podcast from the Steamboat Institute. My name is Carl Honegger, a member of the Emerging Leaders Council, a leadership program out of the Steamboat Institute, and I'm excited to be here today. My guest is Carrie Lucas. She is president of Independent Women's Forum and a mother of five.
2: (laughs) Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. I know um, very recently... President Biden has the American Families Act that is coming through Congress, and um, he's basically planning on signing it. There's uh, a quarter of a trillion dollars that is tagged for childcare care um, in this infrastructure plan. And so I want to discuss with you, are there any risks to this federal push to get more and more children into daycare? I know childcare can kind of be discussed in terms of like, you know, daycare, the younger ages, then preschool, then kindergarten, but specifically when it comes to childcare um, and that those younger ages, what what's the traditional viewpoint on Yeah, you know, right?
2: it, it, I appreciate the way you kind of set this up because it is, it is interesting. And a lot of people, a lot of um, kind of critics have, have kind of took, I've taken issue with this idea of childcare being a part of an infrastructure bill. Um, And, you know, and it doesn't bother me, this idea of, um, of talking about childcare is as a part of the infrastructure of our economy. Um, But just because it's infrastructure doesn't mean that government needs to pay for it, um, or that government is going to be best suited to create that infrastructure, because there's a lot of infrastructure that um, we would all agree is kind of necessary for, um, uh, for the economy to operate and for society to operate that the free market does a pretty good job coming up with. Um, yeah. and I think it's also, as we kind of launch into this conversation, I think it's also kind of worth, taking a step back and kind of recognizing um, what we've learned uh, in like during the COVID era, because a lot of times I think that now um, the left, which has long wanted a massive increase in the federal involvement in child care, is justifying this as, well, we saw the disaster that was um, the collapse of childcare and how devastating that was for families during COVID um, and kind of justifying and you know nobody cares about trillion dollars here, trillion dollars there, like money doesn't matter. So yeah. that's not an argument that can be offered against it. Um, but what I think is really telling is when you look at what did happen and what went wrong during COVID, the biggest failure was our public school system. Um, Although the the thing that made it so hard for so many parents to work was not the collapse of of childcare, most child care, some child care centers stayed open. Um, they were kind of considered um, emergency infrastructure. And so they were allowed to continue operating for um, health care workers. And obviously, the more we learned about COVID, it's, we saw that um, it did not impact really small kids. Um, so a lot of child care centers were able to continue functioning throughout the pandemic. But the yeah. biggest failure was our public schools, not our private schools, but our public schools, the government run public schools, which really didn't care. You know, they didn't have to um, serve parents. They were able to close their doors and just say, oh, we'll open them someday. And yeah, you guys can sort of fuss around online. Maybe we'll offer you real classes, but really they hadn't, they were not beholden to parents. And so they did not serve parents. And so I find it incredibly, I feel like Moms and dads out there should be saying, you know what? Like maybe we should think about how to make sure we have a, a, a positive childcare infrastructure and think about how to better help families yeah. in need. Um, but man, doubling down on the government public school model towards um, K through to tw- through um, pre K and then through daycare seems like yeah. a really weird decision after what we've seen post COVID.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you can almost be summarized in like one word is like trust that yeah. like trust being broken is why so many women with school age children did not feel like they could either go back into the workforce or they could continue working um when the teachers unions were pushing for all these reasons why they could change things last minute and this whole process of okay well your kid goes back to school but then you know things can change there's no guarantee right it seems like that breaking trust maybe is one reason why throwing more money at childcare is not going to be the solution uh, for what actually working parents want.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think the other word, if I did like use one word, I think that leverage is a big, okay. um, is, is an important one because what we saw was um, private schools, okay, you know, the first couple of months, okay, fine. Like nobody knew what was going on. You know, the world kind of shut down March through June. We I, I understand and sympathize with the decision of public schools to close then. But what we saw happen in the fall when pretty much we'd seen very little evidence that this was a kind of a kid-driven um, uh, disease or like this, the kids aren't the super spreaders, Public private schools overwhelmingly opened their doors in person. began because they had to. Parents aren't going to pay tuition for the kids not to be taught. Um, but then the public schools. You know, I'm here in um, Northern Virginia, and my kids. I've got five kids. As you said, they were all. Um, their my youngest is in kindergarten, and my oldest is in high school, and um, they were all not in school until um until um in March. It was it was wow. completely <laughs> crazy. But it's because our schools could not care less how unhappy I. was because they know it'd be really hard for me to pull my kids to school and find a slot in private school. So I know we don't, this wasn't supposed to be a a school choice, um, a school choice uh, podcast. We're supposed to be talking about childcare, but I do think when I I feel like the biggest criticism of the the Biden plan and it's, you know, the Biden plan when it comes to childcare, it's kind of opaque. Um, You know, it's all, the, the, the headlines are you know, very misleading and just saying, "Hey, everybody's going to have you know great daycare, and it's not going to cost you more than yeah. seven <laughs> percent of your income." You know, you don't worry about the details, but isn't this going to be awesome? And everybody, you know, you see polls that say, "Yay!" Like everyone, um, Republicans and Democrats say, "Of course, we want to help pa- working parents who are struggling to provide for their families." Daycare, we all know, child is very expensive. We everybody just applauds and um and doesn't kind of think through well, what. What is government actually, how is government actually going to advance this and i do think having this moment of saying boy you know government if we if if a, presumably this is mostly going to be modeled off of public schools because this is how government yeah. subsidies flow through the states they go to the schools they go through bureaucracy this bureaucracy exists to serve itself and to serve the government um and sort of sort of but not really to serve the parents um you know, the public schools is really how you should be thinking about this and i really think this is a time not to you know, we should be really cautious about wondering, you know, also, especially there's the other conversation that's going on in K through 12. What are kids being taught and who decides? There's a lot of parents out there, public school parents who say, man, you know, I I feel like my kids are being taught crazy stuff. Um, They're much less likely to be learning math and writing and reading and are much more likely to be learning things that I think are not only like wrong, divisive, Um, you know, terribly like racist um, and self-destructive in terms of their, my kids' emotional health, you'd say, why would I possibly think it's a good idea to say, yeah, I'll give you my my three-year-old who's basically completely learning to um, form a self kind of self-identity and self-worth. Why would we possibly think that, yes, I want the government to decide um, and to be the kind of put in charge of this sector of of kids' care uh, too?
0: Yeah, I think that maybe with the vagueness right now that's um, discussed in the Biden plan, we could maybe solidify like some examples um, in past history. Maybe the Quebec model um, yeah. is actually given as like a good example sometimes. But I think um, in what you found looking at the scientific research, and like the high quality research into this, that maybe the Quebec model points to problems with, Getting government more involved um, and controlling childcare options. Could you discuss more about what you thought yeah. about that?
2: Yeah, you know, it's really important. I do think you're, you're right, because one of the main arguments you'll hear in favor of this, and there was an article um, in the Wall Street Journal this week on, um, on this that made the case that. Um, uh, that a $1 investment in preschool will pay off $9 or whatever it is in and rewards down the road and office is such a no, no brainer. Um, but and it's very, you can tell there's a lot of research out, researchers out there who are very reluctant to say anything negative about daycare. And for, for good reason, they don't want to make moms and dads feel bad. Um, and, you know, I'm not here somebody you know, I'm, I've used daycare at different times of my life. I think that daycare can be a, a fine option for, um, sure. for parents and um, and you know, and fine for kids, but I don't think we should shy away when we're talking about public policy. We um, shouldn't shy away from taking a hard look at what the research shows. Um, and you're right, um, Quebec is a really in- interesting example. And the research on it was done by Jonathan Gruber, who's kind of a left of center, a very well known left of center economist. Um, he was writing for the National Bureau of Economic Research. It's not a you know right wing crackpot who's making this case. Um, Quebec did a very um, aggressive program, made it so that um, parents could. um and kind of interesting, and because it was almost a controlled experiment, because you have this huge cohort of kids who all of a sudden um, there was a big influx of kids because they made it so parents were paying five dollars no more than five dollars a day um for for daycare and so you had a, a big increase in the number of kids who were suddenly um introduced into a, a daycare situation and um and they followed them over time and they found that there were negative there was Nothing they could find that was positive, and then some things that were associated with negative outcomes, including mental health, social behavior, education, and was even like an increase in criminality. So yeah. you don't want to go—you don't want to go too far in this and say, "Oh, it's all because of daycare." Because obviously, there's a lot of variables that um, that impact kids' long-term um, uh, growth. Um, but but man, this this sure is a reason for caution. Um, and the other thing I, I feel like when you look at the research. Um, you know, this, and uh, you often, when you see these examples of, of this big returns, the $9 on $1 return, yeah. they're often pointing to really small programs focused at very at risk kids. Um, you know, this is, there's one, this one Perry preschool that happened in the 1960s and it's used constantly. This is, you know, 50, 60 years old now. Yeah. And, um and it was for like, hundred kids or maybe even less than that was this tiny group of very very disadvantaged kids who received very intensive intervention um it was not only like helping the kids but it was helping parents. it is not at all akin to what a um, a big federal program trying to get like all American kids um, into daycare it's not at all what would be a comparable but those are the things that are used to justify and yeah if you spend a ton of money, um, and help kids who have really challenging home environments. Um, there, there is some reward, and you know it's, that's it's worth us thinking about. And if there are ways to help truly at-risk youth, but it's very different than saying that my kids, your kids, you know the, the kids of the average American, that we should yeah. incredibly subsidize this one decision for them. You need to put your kids in an institutional daycare facility that is blessed by the government and fits this gets the government seal of approval and um, and then it's you know that's that's free for you. Um, there's little reason, there's no evidence that this would be that this would be good in terms of ch- a child outcome. There's zero.
0: Yeah. I think you mentioned that Perry Preschool and how there is that involvement of the parents too, in that like they would actually go to the home and talk to the parents. So it's actually kind of a bad scientifically to like differentiate between like what made the outcome. Was it the fact that like the parents were so involved that they're willing to talk to a social worker or was it preschool, right? Whereas Quebec, like it's really a scientific study based off of like one factor, right? Whether or not they were in the childcare and yeah. with it being you know, close to free. I guess another yeah. aspect of this that doesn't seem to be discussed much is what women actually want. <laughs> and I know that there's been some questionnaires put out there and some studies. It seems like in year 2000, public agenda surveyed parents with children five and under and 80% of young mothers ages 18 to 29 would prefer to stay at home. And so like provide childcare right for their own children rather than work full time, that doesn't mean that they don't ever want to go back to work, right? Or, but what what have you seen over the past so many years when it comes to like women and their choice when it comes to these young children? What would they actually like?
2: Yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're right. Because I do think that there's a lot of kind of push on this um, labor, labor force participation rate. Um, and it's funny because obviously, um, the, you know, the the whole package of the American Families Plan that the, the Biden administration is pushing out, one of the things that's kind of ironic and funny about it is that... Um, is that you have, these, you have several things that are in absolute conflict. They really want to get women in the workforce. So they're talking about offering you know, a host of benefits, including um, subsidized childcare. But at the same time, they're pushing something called the PRO Act, which would basically make it so the overwhelming majority of people have to work in kind of old school nine to five jobs. And when you look at what women want, um, this is, you're moving in the absolute opposite direction. <laughs> because with yeah. most women, you do find research, a lot of women, most overwhelmingly young you know, mothers, um, say that they would like to work less and um and uh, and have some more time with their kids they don't they aren't dreaming of all leaning in and working, you know, 40, 50 hours and getting their kid in a daycare facility to take care of them while they are, you know, pursuing these high flight careers. And most most moms want to be home or at least have a, an active role with their kids. There are you know, sometimes you do see that there's women who aren't working who say, you know, gosh, I really wish I could have a job and I wish but I want it to be kind of part time and on my terms. Um, so there's this real desire for kind of flexibility and, yeah. um, and I feel like government is working against them in two, in two capacities, one on the, on the, um, on the jobs front by making kind of pushing regulations that say it's almost going back to an all or nothing. You either have to be a union member and work nine to five and have these set hours and our version of flexibility, which is, you know, you get a day off if you qualify and or these FMLA type of regulations, yeah. but not the real flexibility that women want. And then also, um, on the on the kind of the childcare side, you know, one of the good things about um, about you know uh, non government care, a lot yeah. of home based daycare and informal daycare relationships that a lot of people use. Um, is that they can be, you know, actually, I'm going to work these nights, I need, I need you three days a week, not five days a week, yeah. we find some like, ways so that I can um, child care share or the you know I can have my kid there for half a time and another mom have my kid with this child like a home based center, and government is making it by totally focusing on moving everybody into kind of a school model of daycare or this like a federal model of daycare, you're going to have less flexibility on that end too. Everybody's going to be expected, drop your kids off at 7.30 and pick them up at 3.30. And um, and that's what your work life has to be. That's not flexibility. That's not what women want.
0: Well, I, I know we could really dig yeah. into this for hours and uh, I've been having a great discussion about this. But what do you personally, have you been... Reading or especially with podcasts that you're listening to that you've enjoyed lately that you would suggest to our listeners. Um, it doesn't have to be related at all to sure. our discussion right now, but um, we'd love to hear.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, um, I, I work for, as you mentioned in the beginning, I work for the Independent Women's Forum and we have a podcast called She Thinks. Um, we've got a lot of great guests on that. Um, it's, uh, hosted by Beverly Hallberg. And, um, and I think that's a, a really fun one. Um, Julie Gunlock has one's, uh, has one called the bespoke, um, parenting hour. And she okay. talks kind of, kind of specifically about, um, and Julie's really a great, she's a great, she's very funny. And, um, she's got three boys, uh, school age boys, and she covers issues like school daycare, kind of the culture of parenting and, and pokes, pushes back at, at, um, I think some of the, the worst messages that parents get, um, like teaching them to fear everything. And she tries to bring a little joy back into parenting. So it's one I really enjoy.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Carrie. I really appreciate it. Um, This has been another podcast with the Emerging Leaders Council. And thank you so much for your time today.
1: Great. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to today's Liberty Chat. I'm Erica Anderson, the producer of the podcast. Our podcast editor is Fingers Malloy. My co-producers include Charlotte Whalen, Zachary Rogers, Lindsay Martin, and Christina Eastman, all members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council, who represent the next generation of free market, free speech leadership. We hope you tune in again for our next Liberty Chat episode.